I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun. It's our weekly podcast featuring in-depth interviews with experts from AccuWeather and from around the world. Bringing you behind-the-scenes information, stories, and news on the weather, climate change, and the outdoors. Covering topics from the worlds of science, sports, and space. It's all the information you need to weatherproof your life. And now, here's the host of Everything Under the Sun, AccuWeather meteorologist, Dean DeVore. Friends, welcome in. This is episode 9 of our spring series for 2022. And our motto here is, you come for the weather and you stay for your life. We take... The approach where the weather and your life situations meet, that's the kind of stories that we want to bring forward here on Everything Under the Sun. And two topics that we're going to look at this week. One, lightning safety. Now, I know we're a couple of months away from Lightning Safety Awareness Week, which is in June. But our friend Chris Vygaski from the National Lightning Safety Council also works for Vaisala. And Chris wrote a paper that's out this month about how our friends at Major League Baseball may need to look at some of their precautionary situations when it comes to lightning strikes for their constituents and their players. We'll talk to Chris about that. And then we'll talk about environmentally controlled agriculture. This is the new wave that is coming in terms of how to make greater yields in our produce and our vegetables and all the kinds of crops that we grow A lot of it done like uh, everything else here in 2022 with more technology. We'll talk about that with the friends at App Harvest. Friends, sit back and relax. It's time to talk about everything under the sun from AccuWeather.com. Also want to note that we'll close out our podcast with a look at the weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. Our friend Brian Thompson, AccuWeather meteorologist and fellow radio Guru is going to be on with me. This is uh, we, we don't get to talk or see each other much because we work at such opposite ends of the spectrum. But Brian will join me at the end of the podcast. Friends, uh, National Lightning Safety Week is a couple of months away, but it is uh, never too early to talk about lightning safety, especially when we're in the prime time for thunderstorm season here like we are in the United States here in the heart of spring. Chris Vygaski from Vaisala, who's a company that helps supply lightning information and detection situations to companies, and AccuWeather has been working with them for years, and also a member of the National Lightning Safety Council, has just put out a paper this month that is looking at the situation with Major League Baseball and how many times do you watch a broadcast on TV and see lightning strikes that are seemingly close to the baseball stadium and you haven't really seen much action on the field or clearing out of the stands whereas it has become increasingly likely that if you go to a college athletic event you may be asked to leave the grounds or the the stadium because of lightning awareness there seems to be a dichotomy there and chris uncovers that in his paper and he joins us to talk about that right here on everything under the sun from accuweather.com 
And as uh, we get into this, Chris, welcome back. For folks who may remember, we talked to Chris, who is a member of the National Lightning Safety Council, last June as we were getting ready for National Lightning Safety Week, which is in late June. But uh, Chris just recently published and put out a paper, uh, thanks uh, to his work with uh, the National Lightning Safety Council and also his full-time job with Vaisala, uh, that really looks at the problems in our situation with Major League Baseball games and the proximity to lightning in those events and how it doesn't seem like the Major League Baseball scenario is as far advanced in terms of dealing with lightning issues as some other major sporting uh, entities and events are. And I have pretty first-hand knowledge of that, Chris, with being the voice of Beaver Stadium now going on my 23rd year. I mean, we were in and and had a very <laughs> robust lightning plan which i actually had to voice i remember the first time i voiced it because you know beaver stadium 110,000 people so big i mean it's got like eight sections of different places where people need to go in that scenario but i mean that's something that uh, college athletics and trainers have been really ramping up i think in the last several years especially and uh, your concern was that Maybe our friends in Major League Baseball weren't as prepared. Is is am I putting words in your mouth, or is that the, the basis of what you were putting out there with this paper? No, I, I think you are are correct. And you know, the NCAA has done a lot of, of work to really improve lightning safety. And some of that has come from some of my colleagues on the National Lightning Safety Council, um, Ron Holly and Katie Flanagan, who's an athletics trainer, um, to really drive forward some of the the lightning safety thoughts and what people should be doing in a lightning event. What we see though, and I, I, it was really what spurred forward my research was you'll be watching a baseball game on TV and you'll see lightning out over the distance in the, out beyond the, the outfield. And you start wondering, you know, just how close is that lightning? And when I started looking, it was actually a lot closer than you would expect just a few miles away from the ballpark and you still have the pitcher on the on the mound the batter in the the batter's box and everybody's out on the field with a really significant uh, safety risk lightning nearby why do you think uh from what you have gleaned in, in doing this and and chris was looking at i think what 2016 to 2019 obviously the last few years I've uh, been a little jumbled too with different, um, you know, policies of spectators in the stands and not with COVID. And but the solid data from 2016, 2019 is it because honestly, Major League Baseball stadiums seem to would would have a lot less people than I know, like Penn State or or some of these bigger colleges would have to deal with in a major college football game. But you know, let's be honest too, uh, Major League Baseball each team has 81 home games. Um, so that's a lot more opportunities. It's in the heart of a lot of thunderstorm season and during the summer. And so, you know, there's that factor of it. But w- what do you think are some of the reasons? Is it just that that, that he didn't want to break down the game? Is it you think pressure from TV or we'll lose the fans if we do this? Uh, where do you think that mindset was? Everybody thinks, well, it's not going to happen to me. A lightning strike's not going to hit me. Exactly. And, and right. Yeah. Lightning, you know, when you think about it, it's any individual place is very unlikely to be struck by lightning. 
but when lightning does strike in that place, it's a big impact when it when it does happen. Um, lightning is hotter than the surface of the sun. It packs more electricity, thousands of times more electricity than the electricity running through your walls. So it's a big impact when it does get there. It, it's the, the biggest challenge that we see with lightning safety, whether it's at a, at a baseball game, at a football game, people just out and about on a daily basis, I'm dry, so I'm safe. That's not the case. And most lightning injuries and fatalities happen before the rain arrives or after the rain has left. Right. Because when it's pouring down rain, you've gone and gotten inside, which is a lightning safe place. But, you know, as the storm's approaching or as the storm is leaving, lightning can still strike outside of the rain of the storm. So, you know, for a 10 to 15 mile radius around the storm, that's still kind of the strike zone, so to speak. And and then the other thing that is concerning to me, and I know that's probably one of the reasons that uh, college athletics uh, and Penn State hastened its uh, response to this, is because usually those environments around the stadium are very prone to, if a lightning strikes one spot, the effects of that are going to spread with a lot of metal, a lot of things that are conducive to spreading the the electricity that's coming down from the bolt of lightning versus where if it happens in the middle of a field, it may be just kind of limited to that immediate area in the ground, right? It doesn't spread as much as it's out in the opening of a wide field. Is that, Am I right on that? Yeah, so, you know, there, there is some of that at, at play. However, you know, we've seen, um, you know, football fields, soccer fields, different locations get struck by lightning. And if the, if there's irrigation actually in the, uh-huh. in the fields, that lightning can travel through some of the piping and get, uh, get spread kind of widely. I, um, I saw a case, I think in Puerto Rico where that happened, where multiple right, there was people like- were, were injured after lightning struck nearby. So um, there was pipes and stuff not real far under the the surface of the ground, and 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 the lightning. I mean, do you know offhand how deep that lightning strike can go into the ground? Is there is there studies on that aspect uh, of it? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. That's a that's a really good question. I have to look into that and see. Um, but you know, typically, you know, we think that lightning can travel for you know a few meters at, at the minimum but then if it does come into contact with something conducive so a metal fence piping um, electrical wires it can travel a lot further than that and that's how people would actually get struck indoors um, if they're using uh, a faucet or in the shower connected to a you know some electrical equipment um, you know somebody was struck by lightning last year playing video games because lightning struck near their house it came through the electrical wires into the controller that they were holding, um, and they were shocked that way. So, um, yeah, especially when we're we're outdoors, uh, anything, you know, tall objects, so a tree, the stadium, um, anything with metal in it. So even the concrete of the stadium will often have uh, rebar in it. Um, so that's all potential ways for the electricity to continue to spread throughout, even if it doesn't strike exactly where you are. We're talking with Chris Vigaski, a meteorologist and solutions manager for North America at Visala Incorporated, which is a company that 
um, is charged with, uh, sorry, pardon the pun, Chris. <laughs> it, it, what Vaisala does is provide lightning data and information to people so that they, they can plan ahead and keep track of lightning. He's also a part of the National Lightning Safety Council, which we should say that uh, does amazing work. And the work, I think, is being paid. The dividends are paid off. Chris, a record low low last year in 2021 for lightning fatalities in the United States. That's uh, that's a lot of good work by you folks, because the number of thunderstorms didn't decrease. Right. So people must be listening and paying attention and getting better information, I guess, is is the uh, the other part of it. Right. It it really it really is. Um, So back in the 1940s. Hundreds of people every year were killed by lightning in the United States. Last year in 2021, uh, the number was 11 for known lightning fatalities. Um, Some of that has had to do with uh, people are inside more, working inside more, uh, and not so much a a farming or uh, an outdoor economy. Uh, Some of that does come from a lot of the improvements in weather forecasting. So now people are aware when thunderstorms are expected. Um, but a lot of education has been done. So the National Lightning Safety Council really got started about 20 years ago to improve lightning safety education um, and really help people to understand that when thunder roars go indoors. Uh, and so back in the early 2000s, we were still seeing 40, 50, 60 people a year struck and killed by lightning. Um, so to come down that much, so now where the average is around 20 per year, uh, is really a testament to the efforts that my colleagues uh, have been working on for, for 20 years that I've been working on in the last uh, 10 years. Uh, really, the whole goal of this is to minimize the number of lightning injuries and lightning fatalities, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Um, so the more that we can do, the more studies and the more science that we can do to really help people understand where the lightning risks are, where the lightning threats are, uh, the better that will be globally. And one of the, I think the biggest things uh, is technology. I mean, um, I've got a couple of different apps and I have them set. And if lightning comes within a certain radius, it alerts me right away um, and it can give me time to prepare. Um, what in your, if you were telling your friends and family, what would your radius of that be? Is it five miles? Is it 10 miles? Um, is it even b- broader than that because of the speed of some of these storms can move 40, 50, 60 miles per hour? What's your radius? And then once you find that distance of that first one, you know, obviously there's other things to check where the storm is within that radius and where it's moving and those kinds of things. But What's your radius that you kind of uh, put out there, Chris, is something people should know? It it really kind of depends on the situation. In in most cases, it's if I hear thunder, I know that it's it's time to get get inside. Um, The thunder can generally be heard for about 10 to 12 miles. And that's about the distance that lightning can strike away from a storm. Um, So if you can hear thunder, you're you're too close. But there's going to be a lot of situations where you're not going to be able to hear thunder. So if you are at a football game, at a baseball game, um, if you're at an amusement park or something like that, it's going to be loud. There's going to be a lot of noises going on around you, and you're not necessarily going to hear the thunder. Um, so at that point, when you do hear the thunder, it's usually right on top of you, and you need to get in inside. 
Um, so at that point, it's really paying attention to what's going on around me. And if I can see lightning nearby and, and, and watch the clouds, if the clouds are developing and they're getting taller, that starts getting me, me thinking. And, and you had a, you know, you mentioned the apps and that's a really great tool uh, for people to use is to have a, an app that has that lightning warning capability. Uh, because you can, some of these you can set a distance to be five miles, 10 miles. Uh, so that when you get that alert, you know, okay, I need to head to the, to the safest place nearby. So that's another thing you need to think of is where is my closest safe place? Uh, if you're at a, a little league ballpark, the closest safe place is going to be your car most likely. So how quickly can you get to your car? Uh, if you're you know, at a, a sporting event, how quickly can I get into the concourse area, uh, into the nearest bathroom? Because you don't want to be under an overhang. You don't want to be out in the, in the bleachers. So you know, thinking about lightning safety is really thinking about how quickly can I get to my safe place? So from the time that I see the lightning, hear the thunder, how quickly am I in a lightning safe place? That's how you consider your, your radius. Um, so, you know, that 10 to 12 miles is a, is a really good general rule of thumb, uh, but you can modify that based on the situation that you're in. Chris's uh, company is Visala. That's the company that he works for, and it's headquartered out in Colorado where it's extremely dry. And uh, we were just talking about this in map discussion as we're recording this on Wednesday. There could be some uh, dry uh, thunderstorms there, uh, no rain producing. But, uh, you know, I think that's a situation, too, that goes back to what you brought up earlier, Chris, is, you know, a lot of people think it has to go with rain. So, you know, but you can get thunderstorms, especially in the, the atmosphere that we're seeing out west. They can be dry as a bone, not producing any precipitation to the ground. Or if it is, it's it's getting eaten up by the dry atmosphere before it hits the ground. But yet can have the same dangers of injuring people, causing fires in this situation. So, uh, and, and it looks like with the way in the state of our drought situation, Western Plains and back to the, the Intermountain West in those areas, that's going to be an issue that we got to keep an eye on the next several months for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, lightning is the same, whether it's in a very wet storm or in a very dry storm. It's packing the same heat, the same electricity. Dry doesn't mean safe when it comes to a thunderstorm. Uh, as, as we said, lightning can strike away from the storm before it's even raining or after the rain has, has passed. Um, so really, anytime that there's lightning in the area, you need to be into a lightning safe place. But we always say there's no safe place outside during a thunderstorm. So as we uh, get ready to wrap this up again, we're talking with Chris Vagaski and Chris put out this paper. It's one strike you're out lightning during professional baseball games. It's published uh, in volume 14 of weather, climate and society for this quarter, April through June of 2022. You know, as I went through this, uh, the one thing that I looked at that really kind of bothered me a little bit when you kind of table out all of the baseball stadiums and the numbers that are not storm ready yet. Um, and, and that that was bothersome to me here in 2022 when a lot of us have gone through all this preparation. And yet, you know, a entity that hosts typically tens of thousands of people every given day or night when they have a baseball game aren't necessarily storm ready. So has your paper that you put out just recently 
sparked any movement to that regard? Have, have, have major league baseball clubs that aren't necessarily in the storm ready side reached out to people and said, you know, you're right. We need to do a better job. Has there been reaction here in the last couple of weeks? That is one of the things that I was really hoping this paper would do is raise that awareness and get people to start thinking about it. And the, the storm ready program is a fantastic program through the weather service where it looks at your severe weather plan, helps you to develop a severe weather plan if you don't have one so that you are prepared for situations like this. And there are some ballparks that are storm ready. Coors Field here in Colorado is one of them. And when I was at, at the baseball game last week, I, saw signs that direct people to their severe weather shelters. So in case there is a, an incident, you can get people to safety. We're getting into the, the beginning of baseball season here. We are a few weeks in now. So I, I'm really hoping that we start getting some, some ball clubs that identify that, okay, yeah, lightning is a problem here. And it, it really is a problem everywhere. There were only a couple of ballparks that, that didn't have any lightning during a game, but that doesn't mean that, they can't have lightning during a game. It's all dependent on how the storms line up on any given day. So uh, with one out of every 14 baseball games having lightning nearby, it's something that needs to be considered. How am I going to prepare for when there is a thunderstorm nearby during my game? Yeah, that's a, a great point. And, uh, and I, I hope it sparks that and maybe we can check in down the line to see if it has done that. But Chris, great work for uh, figuring all this out and pointing it out, and I hope it has some positive impacts going forward. We know that we've done a lot of work uh, in the college side, I think, more so, and and the college athletics, and happy to see that, but they can always do even more work to get more people prepared, and there's so many great resources, National Lightning Safety Council and all the folks with Storm Ready program at the National Weather Service and NOAA. So there's resources out there. It's just uh, making your effort to go and get them. Chris, thanks for being with us here on Everything Under the Sun again. Uh, I hope we don't wait a year to talk to you again. And thanks for being with us and joining us here today. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Looking forward to the next time. If you'd like to read Chris's article, we're going to put a link in our notes section here, but uh, you need to just search Weather, Climate, and Society. It's a journal that's uh, published by the AMS, um, and again, the title is One Strike, You're Out, Lightning During Professional Baseball Games. Again, we have that link in our notes section, and we will certainly uh, uh, talk about these issues with lightning more so as we get closer to June again for National Lightning Safety Week. Thanks again to Chris Vygasky for joining us. Friends, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jonathan Webb, he's the founder and CEO of App Harvest, and he's leading the way to bring sustainable and economically and environmentally controlled agriculture to Appalachia. And it's an amazing concept that is taking what we're seeing in the weather and the climate and kind of being forward thinking. Jonathan Webb joins us when we come back after a break. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Plan your day with confidence and find out what the weather means for you. Join AccuWeather meteorologist Bernie Reno Monday through Friday for Weather Insider. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore, as we roll on episode nine here of our spring series. We're going to switch gears a little bit in this second segment. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll talk to AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson about the 
weather for the upcoming weekend and week beyond. But we wanted to talk, and we've been trying to line this up for a few months, but we finally got it going here. We wanted to talk to the folks at App Harvest. This is a, a great company. It's an applied technology company that is building some of the world's largest indoor farms in Appalachia. They are a company that continues to combine conventional agricultural techniques with cutting-edge technology, addressing key issues, including improving access for all to nutritious food by farming more sustainably and building a homegrown food supply, an increased investment in Appalachia, and then eventually taking that beyond. We are joined by the founder and CEO of App Harvest, Jonathan Webb, to talk about his early beginnings, why he switched gears of his professional life to start App Harvest and some of the exciting things that they're doing to help us as we see the climate changing and the way we grow and use food in this country. Jonathan Webb joins us here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. All right. So, Jonathan, what was the impetus for starting App Harvest? What were the things that you were kind of looking at when you were trying to to look at a company and trying to start it, That uh, some of the things that you wanted to do, and how has that kind of been realized through App Harvest as we see it here in 2022? Yeah, for me, um, you know, a, a, a truly innovative company should always kind of start with the problem and, and try to look at the problems and then, you know, try to figure out how to build a solution around it. Uh, so, so App Harvest w- was really started with, you know, the fact that uh, the UN has said we need 50 to 70 percent more food by 2050. Uh, some have said to achieve that outcome, we might need two planet Earths to have enough land and water. Uh, you, you, you zoom into the U.S., you see we, we import almost two thirds of our fruits and vegetables where we do grow food. Uh, of fruits and vegetables. We, we've got drought-stricken areas like California, Lake Mead drying up, uh, the Colorado River drying up. And, and you know, just looking at these massive problems currently facing agriculture and that, that are even going to increase in the decades to come, uh, we, we need to do better. We need to do more with less. And, and we have to figure out how to grow food year-round in climate-resilient facilities where we use less land and less water. And that's ultimately why App Harvest was formed and and what we're setting out to do here today. And that seems like it's even more uh, cogent right now because of inflation and all the other externals that we're seeing in terms of the world with uh, Russia and Ukraine and all the problems that we're hearing and people aren't weren't even considering going into this situation about the amount of agricultural products that come from Russia. And so, yeah, I mean, this seems to be right at the forefront of, of what we need to do. So in, a, in effect, a lot of it was weather driven, climate change, droughts uh, or the opposite, where we have tremendous flooding and we can't get the right crops in and 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 growing correctly. That, in addition with things like that we're seeing, labor issues, supply chain, so it all comes together to create this company to try to become a a situation where making sustainable farming in different parts of the country that weren't necessarily used to seeing that before. Is that the gist of this? Yeah, that's right. You know, we, we at App Harvest have set out to build some of the world's largest controlled environment agriculture facilities. Uh, and have really said CEA, Controlled Environment Agriculture, is, is the third wave of sustainable infrastructure. Uh, 20 years ago, you had renewable energy, 10 years ago, electric vehicles. And then right now, uh, CEA, Controlled Environment Agriculture, 
building facilities where we can grow fruits and vegetables indoors using 90% less water, getting 30 times yield per acre, uh, and, and doing it year round where we're climate resilient, whether we have flooding or we have drought, our facilities can operate uh, year round. And, and you know, we think, again, you, you look at the challenges facing us, not only today, but you, you fast forward just a couple of decades. We, we have to figure out how to grow a lot more food while the climate is going to make it a lot more difficult for farmers. And so utilizing technology and, and building innovative business models uh, to recreate and reimagine farming is is it, it's it's an existential threat. I mean, we we you know one thing we all do every day is eat, uh, and and when you don't have a consistent food supply, you don't have a a society or a civilization for that matter. So, um, you know, food security is a topic that you know we've taken for granted uh, as people, uh, and especially in the U.S., we just assume food's going to show up at a grocery and the grocery is going to uh, are, are going to come home to our plate, but uh, in the years ahead, we're, we're all interconnected, and that's one thing COVID certainly taught us. When when you have a problem in the capital of China, it affects uh, southeastern Kentucky in a matter of weeks. And, you know, our, our food problems are going to be very interconnected in the years ahead. Uh, climate is going to make it more and more challenging, and water scarcity and drought is, is going to be an increasingly tall challenge that we have to solve for. And, and again, we can do it through using technology, but uh, it's going to take recreating how we how we grow food and can, and and how we retool our supply chain and not only the U.S. but around the world. We're talking with App Harvest CEO and founder Jonathan Webb, and let's talk about that a little bit because I remember uh, when I was a kid and uh, the first time we went to Epcot and they had all the uh, kind of examples of the way they thought agriculture was going forward. And the word hydroponic, because I also worked in a, a, a farmer's market when I was a kid. And so that word hydroponic got to be real big, where we were growing things less in big, wide open fields full of dirt, uh, susceptible to all the elements. And we were growing it in a controlled substance, basically in mostly a water situation, not not really as much soil. So where is what you're doing, Jonathan, similar to that, different than that? Is it a kind of a, a 2022 kind of, you know, I always laugh. I think the technology that we talked about when we were kids in the 60s and 70s that we thought would be in 2020, 2400 or 2300, we're almost there or past that in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. So so talk to me about that and, and, and kind of in a nutshell, explain what the type of agriculture and farming that you're doing at App Harvest right now? Yeah, all, all these technologies are an evolution and we're all kind of standing on everybody's shoulders, you know, moving forward. I mean, you look in the 80s, we had electric vehicles and solar technology in the 80s. And so, but for some reason, it, it took us, you know, focus and engineering prowess to to want to focus on, on getting those to a point to where they were commercially viable uh, and fast forward a couple of decades and here we are and you know, we would you stand in the world today and you think an electric vehicle is some radical idea. It's you know, it's actually been around for decades. And we we've you know, we, we've just now really focused that that's what we want to do. Same thing with CEA, Controlled Environment Ag. There's a lot of different technologies that that have evolved and emerged. And then some have just gotten better over time. But, you know, LED lighting, mm. you know, the amount of micromole you can get for, from a light and, and, and the cost of that light. 
Um, the hydroponic systems you talk about, you know, have evolved over time to where you can grow, you know, you can grow a fruit and vegetable with 90% less water. Uh, and, but overall, we're building a system uh, which is that controlled environment agriculture facility. Uh, people call it, you know, you think of a greenhouse. And what I would say is think of a sports car in the 1930s or 40s and a 2022 Tesla today. They're mm. nothing in common other than right. four wheels and a steering wheel. <laughs> right. same, same thing with what we're building. It's a glass structure. But what makes it unique is what's what's inside of it, which is, you know, we're using collecting data to operate the facility. It's, it's like a robot in and of itself where we're controlling the climate. We're optimizing for the plant. The real technology is nature. It's the seed. You know, our job is to unlock the potential of that seed. And we use man-made technologies to create an artificial environment for that seed. But ultimately, our job as as as, as we're growing the fruit and vegetable, is to simply unlock the technology inside of the seed. If that's a tomato, a, a leafy green, or, or a strawberry, uh, we're just utilizing technology that's really unlocking the power inside of that seed. You know, and the other thing that I found interesting when I was looking at this, Jonathan, is because, well, you're a Kentucky native, you went to the University of Kentucky, and you have wanted to kind of focus on Appalachia. Um, you know, knowing that uh, the way the the whole economy has changed over the last several decades with taking mining and and, and some of the things that made Kentucky uh, viable, that's all changed. And, and you saw this as an opportunity to bring high-level agriculture to 2022 technology back to a place that could really use some amazing jump starts in terms of the economy and what, what their purpose is in our country. Yeah, I, the downturn of the coal economy has deeply impacted central Appalachia and eastern Kentucky and West Virginia area. Uh, and, and we definitely wanted to root the company in that area. I mean, for, for me, I, I try to say coal alone did not power this country. You know, it was the people of this region that provided low-cost electricity that, that powered the Industrial Revolution and, and got us really as a country where we're at today. Uh, and, and by shutting down those coal mines and turning our back on the region, uh, it, it's just one, it's the wrong thing to, to, to do. And then two, it's you know, we should want to have, you know, a diversified economy in an area of the country that that has been so vital to our, our economic prowess. And and so for App Harvest to be uh, headquartered here, rooted here, uh, instrumental in working alongside the people here, but also we've had record amounts of rainfall. We've had three of our wettest years in state uh, history have been in the last decade. You know, climate change, it's not affecting everyone equally. We're getting right. better. We had almost our wettest uh, uh, decade on state history in the last 10 years. So when I went to investors, I was selling the people of the region, but then I was selling our water resource. You know, 95% of, of fruit and vegetable is water. Uh, we run completely on recycled rainwater. So you, you look at long-term, uh, the resiliency of this business in this area you know, how are you going to grow? I, I've I've invited farmers in the Central Valley in California to come tour coal mining towns in eastern Kentucky. That is their future. You know, and if we don't wake up to understand, we cannot keep our head in the sand. You know, farming can learn a lot from what's happened in the coal industry. We can't just assume things are going to be fine. If you're growing a fruit and vegetable in an area of the country where you don't have water, and 95% of your product is water, 
it's not going to be viable. Right. You, you have to go, this is just fundamentally not going to work. So, you know, our, our focus is, is building and growing here, using the, uh, the talent that we have with the water, but then we can get to 70% of the U.S. in a day drive. So if you kind of zoom in on Moorhead, Kentucky, and then zoom out, you can see we can get to New York, Boston, down to Miami, over to St. Louis, all within about a day, day and a half drive versus right now you're trucking a week or two weeks mm. from Mexico or California to the East Coast. So, you know, where we do what we're doing, uh, we think is important, but where we're doing it uh, to us is, is couldn't, couldn't be a better place and wonderful communities where, where we've been able to start our first few facilities. How can people get involved, Jonathan? I, I know that you've been trying to to do some things in terms of maybe directly selling some products. You just have gotten into that. Can people invest? How are, how can people get involved and, and where should they go to learn how they can get involved? Well, we're App Harvest recently went public on the NASDAQ last year, um, but our fruits and vegetables are being sold at the top 25 grocers. And you know, for me, it's 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 not even just about app harvest. It's it's go to your grocer, you know, talk to your store managers, whether it's Walmart, Costco, Kroger. Where do you get your food from? You know, where does it come from? How is it being grown? And 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 we we started a campaign at App Harvest, fight the food fight. Have these conversations at your dinner table, at, at your at your breakfast table with your kids or your friends. And, and take that conversation to the grocer. Uh, but for us, you can look for the App Harvest name. You can ask your grocer. We're, we are at Walmart, Costco, Kroger, Publix. Uh, our tomatoes have been on Wendy's sandwiches. Uh, so so we're, we're slowly getting our way out and around the U.S. And you can ask for, you know, ask for us at your local grocer or retailer. But, you know, my, my, I encourage consumers just be inquisitive. You know, try to understand where your food comes from. Uh, and yes, you said you you grew up working at a farmer's market. There's no better place to get to get your food than a farmer's market. So always start there. But if you can't get it at a farmer's market, you know, ask for us at a grocer or just ask your grocer in general, you know, where is your food coming from? Right. And I think you're seeing more and more groceries chains understand that and go and, and really touting locally sourced or this is from our state. This came from just down the road. The the McClintock's farm is grew this corn. And I'm seeing a lot more to that, which I think goes uh, to what you're saying is people are more and more in tune with that. Jonathan, great stuff. I wish you and your company best of luck. And uh, if we have an opportunity to talk again about some of this stuff, we should. Thank you so much for being with us on Everything Under the Sun. Thank you for inviting me. And as we change uh, focus here one last time on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com to the weather for the weekend ahead and the week beyond, we welcome in. This is a treat, friends, because we don't get to see each other much because we work opposite ends of the day. But <laughs> AccuWeather meteorologist Brian Thompson, who's graciously getting up early this next uh, several days and filling in for me in the mornings as he normally does the radio duties for most of our big stations in the afternoon. Are you, are you holding up there, Brian, here on this Friday So morning? far, so good. Yeah. Had to dust off the alarm clock, though. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> you're, you're probably sometimes wondering if you can get to bed after your, after your shift being uh, 11 yeah. or 12. Yeah, I'm usually up uh, I'm usually up till about 2 in the morning, and right, it's right about time I'm, I'm waking up now. <laughs> right as I'm getting uh, up to get uh, ready to go. So uh, Brian's going to be doing that. And Brian, as we look at the weather for the upcoming week, weekend and week beyond uh, a lot of uh, variability but i sense that we're in a pattern shift coming here this week finally it seems like this idea of these repeated cold shots to the great lakes and northeast are going to either 
you know, kind of slow down a bit. There is one more chilly shot that I'm a little worried about getting into New England, maybe in some parts of the Northeast as we get towards this upcoming weekend, that first full weekend of May. But overall, a lot more warmth coming up to the Great Lakes and Northeast than we've seen sustained warmth. Some good things there for people who have been too darn chilly the last couple of weeks. Yeah, especially in the Northeast where it's been a pretty chilly of late. There is certainly some changes coming. Now, this is not going to be a a massive shift to a big warm up like we saw last weekend, especially last Sunday. Uh, And in fact, I think a lot of the week ahead is probably still going to be slightly below average. But keep in mind, below average, especially slightly below average, is not all that bad this time of year. We're starting to see those average highs coming up pretty fast. Uh, And especially this weekend, uh, the weather looks pretty nice across much of the Northeast. High pressure is going to be in control. Uh, Maybe some showers make it into uh, interior parts by late Sunday. But uh, overall, looking pretty good. It's a pretty stormy pattern the way it looks mm. uh, over the next week just lots of uh, waves of low pressure riding along the country uh, riding through the country yeah. coming into the pacific northwest and then just basically going from the southern plains up through the uh, great lakes and into the northeast so that'll continue to bring some needed rain into uh, parts of the west especially northern california uh, and uh, we'll continue to see probably some threats of some severe weather on the southern side of these storms as well yeah it's uh, it's kind of like a parade they they come through and and it's pretty progressive pattern here, especially in areas. It looks like uh, the areas that uh, we're looking at severe weather, there's certainly some areas on on Friday as this podcast drops and then a nice swath. Well, not nice, a big swath of area looking at the possibility of severe weather on Saturday. And then looks like Sunday into Monday, folks uh, will have to keep an eye on that as we go. Uh, some severe weather areas. Uh, highlight that for a few moments here, Brian. Yeah, parts of the Midwest um, uh, most likely to see these uh, severe storms on Saturday, uh, especially from Chicago down through about St. Louis, uh, especially across Illinois. That's where we're most concerned about uh, the threat for uh, damaging winds, hail, and especially across Illinois, that's where we could even see some isolated tornadoes. Uh, as we get to, into a Sunday and Monday, that's with the kind of another storm coming in from the West, mm-hmm. and that is going to bring uh, the threat for severe weather uh, into parts of uh, especially the Texas Panhandle, parts of West Texas on Sunday. That'll shift eastward, may uh, impact Oklahoma City and Dallas heading into Monday. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, too. So if you're up in the Great Lakes in the Northeast, uh, you get to know your umbrella every few days. I think you're going to need it and you'll have some decent weather in between. But as we said, don't don't expect you know, the rubber band to snap back that much yeah. real quick. But I think the push is in the right direction for better weather for a lot of those folks. <laughs> It is. It's like, like you said, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be 80 degrees and much in the Northeast, the Northeast anytime soon, but sixties and seventies, certainly an improvement over what we've been seeing. And at least heading into the weekend, I think the biggest change will be uh, just not as much wind. Uh, the wind's been a, a big factor in the last two or three days. Yeah. Wind and, and the cold enough that I think hopefully this too is the last area we're going to see frost and freeze problems for some of the areas that have been getting into those uh, times when when we got stuff coming up and need protected. So this is yeah. also good news, I think, as well. Yeah, guys, because uh, even early Saturday, we're still going to be fighting some uh, frost, uh, frosty conditions, still some freeze uh, conditions in uh, New England, even in interior parts of uh, New York State and Pennsylvania, too. Yeah, I know. I might have to wrap my peonies one more night. <laughs> so, Brian, thanks so much. And for joining us here and everything under the sun and getting up early for me over the next week or so. Thanks, Dean. Also, thanks to our guests, App Harvest CEO and founder Jonathan Webb, and from Vaisala and the National Lightning Safety Council, Chris Vagaski. Friends, thank you for being part of this podcast. If you have feedback, questions, comments, you can email us at podcast at AccuWeather.com, and we will 
certainly get that information and take it to heart and certainly listen to you. One of the things that we've heard is how much you enjoy being part of and listening about the Weather Photographer of the Year contest that AccuWeather has been presenting in cooperation with our friends at the Royal Meteorological Society. Well, our Mets is ready to roll out the details of this 2022 Weather Photographer of the Year contest, which is co-sponsored by us here at AccuWeather, and we will be talking about that with them next week. Even though I'm on vacation from the radio, I will be here with a podcast and some other exciting topics as well. For all of us at AccuWeather, have a great weekend. Make sure that you take care of yourself. Keep weatherproofing your life with our AccuWeather app on our AccuWeather.com website, through our AccuWeather network, our AccuWeather Now broadcast, and everywhere else. AccuWeather is partnering with those who want to come for the weather and stay for your life. For all of us, including our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, I'm Dean DeVore. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next week for Episode 10 of our spring series of Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review Everything Under the Sun on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And of course, if you have an idea for a future podcast, just email us at accuweather.podcast at accuweather.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.